0: Welcome to Make Good, the podcast about yarn and knitting from Scratch Supply Co. We're recording today in downtown Lebanon, New Hampshire, and we're really excited to be here. I'm Karen. And I'm Jessica. And today we're going to be talking about short rows and checking in about our pinguono and talking about a yarn shop etiquette question, which we're super excited about. Always. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay. Short rows. hmm What and why... Okay, you're hitting me with the big questions right out of the gate So, okay, here's why we're talking about this on the podcast I feel like short rows are one of those things that until you do them, they feel mysterious Yes, that's accurate, I think And I think they're a little bit intimidating in the sense that if you haven't done them They feel like something, because you haven't done them, that you cannot do Sure Which is kind of true in the sense of, <laughs> well, I mean, not in the, like, I really can't do this, but like, knitting is a learn by doing kind of thing. So until you've done it, you don't know how to do it. Right. Totally it's, fair. There's like a Yoda saying or something about that, right? Like there's something about there is no try. <laughs> there's only do. There, the thing is, though, there's definitely try. in <laughs> <laughs> But you just have to do it, right? That That is your trying. You just do the thing. Right. Yeah. So your why with short rows is because you need some sort of shaping to your fabric. You will most commonly find short rows when you need your fabric to curve. So they're generally like sock heels are the first things that I think people think of with short rows. Okay, I'm going to stop you and back you up because if you're knitting in the round, your fabric is curving already. So help me. Yes, that's a good question. So if if I am knitting a sock and I am knitting my sock in the round, as one does, I'm going to say 99% of the time. Oh, God. Hey, there are slippers. They're interesting little origami style folded things. Like the, not everything is knit in the round, but maybe, maybe should be. I don't know. So if you're <laughs> knitting your sock in the round, either toe up or cuff down, if you were just knitting in the round you are effectively creating a tube sock, which is fine. But if you want your sock to be traditionally sock-shaped, like have a bend in it, because socks are shaped like an L, Mm -hmm. right? You need that curve for your heel to accommodate the shape of your actual foot. To achieve that, you need to build up a section of fabric, right? So it will wrap around your heel But you need to do that in a not symmetrical way, I guess is what I'm trying to say here. Mm -hmm. So across half of your stitches, your fabric will kind of be on hold, right? The top of your sock that will go across the top of your foot. And on the back half of your stitches, what will wrap around your heel, you need to build up an additional section of fabric. And there are lots of different techniques for doing that, but all of them to some degree involves some short row shaping you're creating like an additional wedge of fabric for extra length there so that's the why and socks are very common other places you'll see instructions for short rows that are very common are at the back of a neck in a sweater so your shirt will sit up higher on the back of your neck the front of the neckline will scoop or have a v or whatever shaping there is but generally there's a little additional depth of fabric across the top of your shoulders. You may also see short rows shaping at the hem of your sweater. So it might sit a little bit higher in the front and kind of scoop down on the back. Short rows can be used to create darts in your sweater. So if you need to make an adjustment to the bust measurement of your garment, you need some additional length there because of your chest measurement and you don't want the front of your sweater to be hiking up high if you use short rows to create some additional fabric in the chest area it will let your sweater accommodate the shape the curve of your body and fit better and there are designers like Jacqueline Sezlack who have really great instructions in their written into their patterns about how to accommodate bust darts The Ursa sweater, for example, I knit that a couple of times last year and used darts to shape my sweater the way I wanted it to fit me. Other sweaters don't have that shaping, but once you understand the function and the creation of short rows, if you're comfortable with experimenting with a little bit of math, you can figure out how to insert those into any pattern that you're writing. And Jackie Seeslack teaches classes on that, actually, so that you can learn how to do the math to make your, your knits fit your body better. Another time you might encounter short rows is for some, like, decorative feature in a piece of flat knitting. For example, Sylvia McFadden has some patterns where short rows are used to inset sections of lace in, like, a garter shawl or something. Is it the rain outside? Yeah. Is a shawl sample that we have in the shop that is, it's a semicircular shawl? It's not triangle. What shape is it? Yeah, it's semicircular. Yeah, semicircular. And it starts with a garter tab and it's just like two color striping garter stitch. And then every once in a while, there's a short row section where there's like a gorgeous little burst of lace. That was so much fun to knit. Yeah, Karen knit our sample and people kind of love it. It's a perennial favorite in the shop. Yeah, so that's that's the the what and the why, I guess, right? Yes. So if you wanted to insert short rows into a project that you're making Mm -hmm. and they aren't already there, it seems like the trick to it would largely be making it symmetrical. Like you figure out the slope of the shape you want to make. So like how drastic you want the shaping to be. And so if you want it to be really drastic, maybe you're doing your short row turns out like closer together than if you want it to be shallower. Mm -hmm. But really, you just have to kind of pick a center line, whether that center line is like down the spine of the back of the sweater or the center of the heel of your sock, if like you're designing a sock, if you're constructing the math for a sock. Right. And then you just want to make sure that what you're doing is like symmetrical on either side of that line. So you don't end up with some kind of... Strange. Off-kilter. Off-kilterness. Unless, you know what? As an aside, this is a technique that people use to adapt garments to their bodies when their bodies are not, not necessarily symmetrical. Right. There are all kinds of reasons bodies would not be symmetrical. And in that case, ignore this piece of advice and do the thing that will actually fit your human body. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. That's the whole point of like learning about these things so you can apply them as they fit your needs. Right. So if you've never done short rows before, and you just Google how to short rows, right? Mm-hmm. What's the first thing you're likely to find? So there, there are a lot of different tutorials out there. And I'm going to take us away from Google for a second and say, if you're reading a pattern that has short row instructions, I would say anything older than maybe 10, 10 or 15 years old the designer is probably going to tell you that you need to use wrap and turn short rows. A quick addition to that, probably anything in English that is newer than about 10 years old, we do have like knitters who come into the shop who did things like, um, when I was studying, you know, in Germany for grad school, I learned how to knit. So I do all of my knitting in German and I don't actually know what any of these words mean in English. And that's super adorable. But if you are that person, you're probably in a slightly different place with this timeline. Right. Yeah. So older than 10 or 15 years in English, probably maybe specifically American, written patterns. But don't hold me to that. I, I <laughs> can't tell you everything. Very commonly, you will see short row instructions written for wrap and turn. Newer patterns will often tell you to use different types of short row techniques. and we can dig into that a little bit. So on a very functional level, what a short row technique is letting you do, you knit partway across your garment, you're going to turn your work around and knit back before you get all the way to the end of the row. And the technique is really talking about what you do at that turn your garment around, flip your work stage to keep from just having a hole. Yes. And something that I spend a lot of time talking to knitters in the shop about is if they're learning how to do short rows stop trying to think ahead of where you are in the pattern. Your first couple of passes at knitting short rows can feel confusing or a little overwhelming and because you're starting from maybe the beginning of the round, say you're working on a sock heel, beginning of round you're working part way across that row You're going to have to work past what the midline of the short row section is to get it started. So at the very beginning, the numbers don't seem symmetrical. Right. And I think that that's like, it stops people in their tracks and they feel kind of panicked. Like, I don't understand what's happening. This number doesn't make sense to me. I just went past the stitch marker. What is happening? Don't freak out. It's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Like the first couple of times you do this, just shut off your brain, stop trying to anticipate what's about to come, and follow the instructions line by line. Your pattern might give you like lines one through 26 of your short rows written out, or it might be rows one, two, three, four, and it tells you to complete four rows and then repeat until you get to the end of a section. But whatever it is, just do a close reading of your pattern. And follow those instructions to the letter. And if your designer has had their pattern test knit or they have worked with a tech editor and the instructions are good, it should get you the exact result that you want. But just kind of like surrender yourself to the process and do what they tell you to do and then let it sink in. (laughs) Because it'll start to make sense, but it's one of those things where it feels a little bit, right? you know, you're being asked to wrap your yarn in a certain way or place stitch markers in a way that you might feel unfamiliar with. And like, if you're doing, you're trying to wrap your brain around that, plus thinking out ahead of the math, you're going to feel overwhelmed. And really it's not that complicated. So when I was first getting into what I'm going to call kind of jokingly serious knitting, the not (laughs) rectangle knitting, I can remember one time I, I messed something up in my pattern and I took it to my local yarn shop to ask the person there for help figuring out what I had done wrong and I remember being so baffled by the fact that she didn't need to see the pattern to understand and it wasn't even it was garter you know what I mean like (laughs) it was but I needed for me and my brain at that point in my knitting development I needed a clicker to keep track of whether I was supposed to be knitting or purling Uh or like you know maybe it wasn't garter maybe it was stockinette But like, it was with four plus years of the shop being open, it was the kind of problem solving that we hope for when somebody walks in the door, (laughs) because we can do it, right? So for this thing I'm about to say, I'm putting myself back in like that era of knitter development Mm -hmm. for me, and say that the thing that's so panic inducing about short rows is that you are so attached to this beginning of round marker. It's your lifeline. (laughs) It is. It is the thing. You're clicking your clicker. You're making your tick mark. You were like obsessed with hitting this beginning of round marker. And now you're being asked to just kind of willy nilly go back and forth across it and not really worry about what it's doing. Right. And it's scary. Oh, sure. If you're feeling overwhelmed, like that's a valid feeling. Yes. But also, like we say all the time, like nothing bad is going to happen. Like you can get through this and you are going to do it and you're going to build some skills and then you're going to feel triumphant. Yes. And you're going to have a heel on your sock <laughs> or, or a neck on your sweater. So the other time that you run into these where it really makes no sense at all is if you're doing a top-down sweater that has a V-neck. For me personally, anyway, if you're doing like a crew neck sweater that has short row shaping at the shoulders, you've joined in the round, you're kind of like, oh, okay, back and forth, back and forth. When you're doing a V-neck where, like, the fabric needs to be taller in the back than it does in the front, because that's how a V is shaped, you're going back and forth on this flat piece of fabric that you were like, what is happening with this flat piece of fabric? Oh, yeah. The, Just trust. Short rows, as you get more adventurous with your knitting, you might find short rows popping up in all sorts of unexpected places. Yeah. Which, like, once you make your piece with them, it's kind of fun. But sometimes is not very clear what's happening and that's when you just say i'm just gonna read the pattern right i'm (laughs) I'm just gonna follow the pattern that's right and you'll be fine so the first technique that you are likely to come across making a lot of assumptions about being an english pattern reading person and all of that Mm -hmm. stuff is a rap and turn tell me about rap and turn okay I'm going to tell you about rap and turn, and for rap and turn lovers out there, I'm sorry. I'm going to say bad things about your, <laughs> your favorite short row technique. So rap and turns are really common in pattern writing. I firmly reject them. I say no to rap and turns wherever I see them, and if it's your jam, that's fine. I won't yuck your yum, but I'm going to tell you why I don't like them. So when you're using wrap and turns in a pattern, when you get to the point where you need to turn your work, what wrap and turns do is you are effectively taking the stitch at the turning point, you are slipping it from one needle to the other, and you are wrapping your working yarn around it like a belt. And that's fine, it helps you turn your work and continue working on the other side. When you're creating short row turns, what you're really doing is you're so you're changing the direction of your knitting, and that generally involves some sort of additional loop of yarn, not in all of these techniques that we're going to mention, but a lot of times. because if you don't, if you've ever been knitting and like you get to the end of your sweater or whatever, and there's just kind of a hole in it and you're like, "Where did this hole come from?" Like it's not a hole that's going to unravel, it's just like a gap in tension. Well, not even necessarily a gap in tension. There's like that thing where the two stitches on either side don't seem to be connected to each other. What that probably means is that at some point you picked your work up and started knitting in the other direction without doing any kind of wrap-and-turn technique because you were not intending to do that. You just picked up and started working in the other direction. What all of these techniques are intended to do is avoid that situation. hmm So I find that wrap-and-turns These stitches with their funky little belts maybe look like fashion when they're in progress and they're still a belt, but at some point (laughs) when you have to, (laughs) I don't know, somebody worked hard and came up with this technique sometime a long time ago. Oh, sure. I don't know where it came from, but when you're doing your techniques, whatever the wrap and turn situation is, you generally need to resolve that before you move on past your short row section. And what that will mean is knitting stitches together to close that section up. And when I do wrap and turns, and for most of the people that I get to look at their knitting when they come to the shop, wrap and turns never quite close up as invisibly as you would like them to. Right. The stitch that's the belt in this situation is never as snug. And like you can always see like a little slack in the tension in your knitting, Which maybe you're fine with and don't care about. Or maybe you see it and you curse it every time (laughs) you look at that stitch. And I am one of the, I raise a fist and curse the wrap and turn whenever I see them in my own personal knitting. I have a top that I did wrap and turn. I think the pattern even called for German short rows. And I was like, I don't feel like looking up German short rows. I'm just going to do wrap and turns. And for whatever reason, it is asymmetrically visible. Like on, I'm going to pick a side. On the right side of my top, you cannot see them. And on the left side of my top, you totally can. Ah. Oh. It's infuriating. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Don't do wrap and turns if you have other options available to you. If you ask for my personal opinion, really do whatever you want to do. But so, and I just mentioned German short rows. German short rows make my heart sing. German short rows feel to me like the version of short rows you would invent if you had to make them up on the spot Mm -hmm. and got very lucky. (laughs) Like, they're intuitive. Like, once you get them, they're intuitive. Mm -hmm. But they also feel like when you're, to me, when you're doing them, you're like, this can't be it. I just do this. Yes and you do you just yeah just do just do the thing you just do it it's beautiful they they feel kind of, i think they feel graceful to me <laughs> like it's a it's a nice clean transition so the tension in german short rows is better i think i find them to be much more invisible so they are my preferred go to short row every time if there's a pattern that i'm knitting that calls for wrap and turns i ignore the instruction and i just insert german short rows yes. in its place And Tin Can Knits has a good blog post about this. They've got like photos of each step to kind of walk you through it. And if you learn better by seeing someone to do it, Pearl Soho has a nice little video tutorial and we can put them in the show notes. Yes. And the thing I like about the Pearl Soho tutorial is at the beginning, they show you the finished swatch. So you can see it's like a little rectangle swatch with this sort of semi-circular tail on it that you can see like, oh, that's what the short rows are creating. So you mentioned you read in a pattern, it says wrap and turn, and you just do German short rows. Yes. Let's talk about that. Okay. Because I think technically, I'm, I'm going to say something, and before I even say it, I'm going to tell you it's never what I actually do, and it's always okay. I think technically when you are doing a German short row in the place of Wrap and turns. You're supposed to knit one additional stitch from what the pattern tells you, but I never do that, and it always works out fine because it's the the symmetry thing. As long as you're doing the same thing consistently, it's Mm -hmm. going to be okay. But you have to do the same thing consistently, and it feels to me personally like trying to remember to edit the pattern by one stitch is going to have a higher margin of error than whatever one stitch of difference of short row width is going to be like, just do the German short rows where you should do the wrap and turns and it will be okay. That is not the technically correct answer. I don't care. Yeah. I don't believe in that. (laughs) I, I definitely, I don't know whose rule that is, but I don't believe in the knitting police either. And I do what I want. (laughs) And when it says wrap and turn short row, that's when I make my German short row turn. So, German short rows are really lovely and easy. And basically, in place of the funky little slipping stitches belt action, you are turning your work, you are sliding your stitch from your left needle onto your right needle with the yarn either to the front or the back of the work, depending on which side you're on. Your instructions will make it clear. And then bringing that yarn up over. The top of your right hand needle, and then continuing across the row. Or sometimes under the front of the right hand needle if what you're doing next is purling. Basically, you're just pulling the yarn into the position it needs to be in to do the stitch you need to do. Yes. And this is definitely a visual skill. So look at either the Tin Can It's blog post or the Pearl Soho video, but you're kind of creating a yarn over. What you're doing when you pull on the yarn is you are elongating the stitch below and you can see both legs of that stitch kind of get pulled up on your needle. And that's often referred to as a double stitch. It's, it's not really. <laughs> it's just more visible legs of an existing stitch. <laughs> so if you see instructions for German short rows at the point where you're resolving those, it'll tell you, like you'll see DS as an abbreviation, that's double stitch. And that's where you're knitting things together and kind of cinching them up snug. So you have nice clean fabric with no sag in any of the stitches. Right. And really the, the visibleness of any given short row technique is coming from the tension change. It's coming from the extra yarn you need to turn your work around and start going in the other direction. So the techniques that sort of mitigate that from the beginning are a little more foolproof because then it's just already dealt with. Yep. Let's see. What other techniques for short rows do we like? Do we commonly find? So there's Japanese short rows. And what you're doing with that is you are using a removable stitch marker to hold the extra yarn, Rather than wrapping it around your needle. So, if you just think about the difference in circumference between a removable stitch marker and a needle, it's going to be a smaller amount of yarn. So, you're mitigating some of those tension issues. It definitely has to be a removable stitch marker. Oh, Otherwise, yeah. you're, unless you want decorative stitch markers right. knitted into your fabric. <laughs> I feel like you usually see this in socks. I might be wrong about that. The only times I've ever encountered instructions for Japanese short rows is in socks, but I'm sure it's used in many other garments, but that's where I most commonly find it. This technique is a little bit like German short rows, except you're not doing the double stitch. And Usa Terkosa has a tutorial that we'll link in the show notes on this. She's so fantastic. We think she's great. What about the coconuts one? Shadow wrap short rows. That sounds exciting. It is. It's mysterious. <laughs> So Julie Weisenberg, Coco Knits, who has the Coco Knits Method. And if you have the Coco Knits Workshop book, these instructions are in there, but they're also on the interweb. So you can just Google. (laughs) You like that? (laughs) They're on the interweb. They're on the interweb. (laughs) You can go to your Google machine (laughs) and type in shadow wrap short rows and come up with great tutorials for this. I have never actually knit them. I only know about them. So in you know an what they make rem- sense. They remind me of are the the left leaning and right leaning increases that oh. I did in that sweater, and now I cannot remember the name uh-huh. of the sweater. That's okay. Yeah, but it's my new favorite kind of increase because what you're doing is you're like catching a leg of the stitch in the row below and then just pulling it up on your needle and so it creates this really seamless but also kind of architectural increase oh i can i can envision yeah the sweater yes it was one of my reinbeck sweaters last year it doesn't Mm -hmm. it's like that but with a reverse in direction (laughs) cool I think that you don't see instructions for these as commonly as some of the other techniques we've mentioned so far, but it's a neat trick to have in your toolkit. Yes. Another one that I've definitely actually never seen in a pattern is the yarn over short row. Yeah, this is another one Like I know it exists, but I've never had any pattern I've knit say, use yarn over short rows. Right. And that's okay. And from what I understand, after doing a little bit of reading about them, they kind of have a good side and a bad side. So maybe that's why they're not... I mean, bad feels judgy. I don't know. (laughs) But like a probably a more visible side. So that's also true of rap and turns and Japanese short rows. Yep. And maybe that's why with the top that you did with the rap and turn short rows... Since you're working on the front and the back of the fabric, you can only see the wrap and turn line on one side. right? Totally. I think that uh. is. And, and like Japanese short rows, right? If you're seeing them in a sock, that sock has an inside and an outside. Right. Right side, wrong side of your fabric. Right. So if you are wearing your socks inside out, additional things have gone wrong for you. Who cares if you can see that you have short rows in it? I like to think of those as my reverse stockinette socks. <laughs> It's a design feature. (laughs) Yeah. So that's another thing too. If you're thinking about like replacing, for example, in a V-neck top and you're like, I just don't feel like looking up German short rows, which Tin tutorial is so good. I don't know why I was being salty about it. Maybe I didn't have my phone with me or something. It'll be seared into your brain. It will come natural. There may be certain projects or certain types of projects where that is worth going to the extra effort of getting yourself in front of a screen and Mm -hmm. looking it up. Because it is a two sided garment, like a shawl or a scarf or a v neck sweater, which does have an inside and an outside, but not during the flat knitting part of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. For things that live in your shoe, I, right. you know, make your choices. But you might want to make different choices for visual things that are near your face. I don't know. <laughs> It's a yeah. fine line. <laughs> so, okay. So the, the sort of big lesson about short rows is don't be scared of them. There are a million different kinds out there. If you don't like the kind you're doing, try a different kind and mm-hmm. and it'll be fine. Yeah. Short rows make things fit you better. Yes. They just do. Unless you are a paper doll, some shaping is nice. Well, if, even if you're a paper doll, how is it going to be on your heel? <laughs> you need a tube sock if you're a paper doll Karen. <laughs> Do you have a heel? I don't know. We're we're getting really divergent here. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So short and sweet, short Rose. Tell yeah. us what your favorite kinds are. Yeah. Wait, because I also think there are probably kinds that we didn't talk about here because everybody has some like Oh yeah. Oh my mother's cousin's aunt taught me how to knit from this thing that she learned from her grandma when she was growing up in, I don't know, Hilkeberg or something like some town somewhere that, you know, it's like a local thing. Like if you know of a kind that we did not talk about
1: or want to know about
0: it. Alternately, if you are a knitting innovator and you have created some short row technique that like we definitely don't know about because it's your specific invention, like tell us that too. We want to know. Okay. Can we talk about Usa Tricosa for a second? Speaking of like it knitting innovations. innovations. So she has invented something called the ziggurat method for sweater construction. And she has a book that's called like the ziggurat method, which I think is currently out of print, mm-hmm. but I'm hoping we'll come back into print because she's like a little bit having a moment right now. I think that there's a digital version of it. Like you can get an ebook, but like the paper hard copy, real, like real world version of the book is not currently available. Right. We watched a video class that she was giving. She hates weaving in ends, hates it the most of all the things. So to the end of never weaving in ends again, if she could help it, she figured out a way to construct a sweater Where you are knitting these tiny little, especially at the top, these tiny little sections. And so you're knitting like a little bit of the left side of the collar. And then you knit a little bit of the back of the neck. And then you knit a little bit of the, you know, you go along the side and do a little bit of the front. And she has like figured out a way that you are doing it as seamlessly as possible. But like they have, her sweaters have like amazing shape to them. Yes. It's not like... She doesn't like weaving in, and so she has created like a flower sack for you to wear. Oh, right. Beautiful lines. She has done architecture with yarn. With yarn. Uh And it's really cool. We'll link to her, like her website in the show notes. I just think of her as an example of somebody that she was like, you know what? All of these techniques were invented at some point. I have something I would like to be able to do. How about I figure this out? And then she did, and it's amazing. Absolutely. It's, <laughs> it's inspiring. So maybe you will come up with a brand new short row technique. And then you're going to tell us about it because yes. I want to know. <laughs> Thank you. Please do a written rather than video tutorial because video tutorials, I I cannot. My brain does not work that way. Interesting. Yeah. Different brains. Brains are so weird. <laughs> I love them. Hey, Karen, what's on your needles? Oh, God. Socks. <laughs> Socks forever. I'm just knitting socks. So uh, I can't really talk about this. I always have these things I can't talk about, but that explain my weirdness. Which is totally on brand. Karen's a secret keeper. (laughs) It's it's who she is. I have a non-knitting related work in progress, which I will definitely talk about at some point. Just not today. Just not today, which I am... Needing to just like buckle down on. And so I am in a place where I need to be knitting, but I need to be knitting something that's a little bit repetitive and not, I don't want to say not enthralling, but like I'm not going to not work on the thing I need to be working on in order to be knitting. So knitting the same pair of socks over and over is like exactly the right level. So I am just knitting the Drea Rene knits, everyday socks, every day, every day, (laughs) basically through the end of January. At the very least, sweet, yeah. And you know what? It's actually a lot of fun. I picked up a couple skeins of yarn from some dyers we're thinking about bringing into the shop, and it's making it fun, but it is also keeping me on task, which is exactly what I needed. What about you? What's on your needles, Jessica? Penguin. No, my <laughs> <I> penguin. <laughs> it's amazing. This project feels like archaeology, like tearing through my stash and remembering. Oh. I know when I got this yarn, I haven't seen this skein in many <laughs> moons, and now it's going to live in a garment that I'm going to wear. I was going to make something with this, and now I am. Yeah, just something <laughs> else. Yeah. So if you want to see uh, my penguino pro- progress process, my progress, <laughs> head over to our Instagram at MakeGoodPod because I am trying to be diligent about sharing photos. Yeah. So I've got that. I may or may not have. Socks happening on the side that I'm not going to talk about. It's just to give my hands a break from the giant needles that I'm knitting on. Okay. So Jessica says, I'm a secret keeper. But listen to her admitting to having secret socks. Well. <laughs> this side is a- piece socks. <laughs> it's, it's because of the stash diving. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a skein of yarn that I got at Vogue Knitting Live in New York in 2019. She looks furious and I don't know why. Where is this it's- going? <laughs> <laughs> it's it's yarn from Haverland. Oh, yes. And it was a special custom colorway for Shelly Can. Yeah. It's the cannoli yarn. Yes. And if you know me, you know how I feel about cannolis. And how I feel about stripes. <laughs> and these are going to be my dream socks. But I had this skein of yarn, and it's been in hiding, maybe until I found a sock pattern that I really wanted to use for it. But I may or may not have started knitting socks with my cannoli yarn. And that's all I'm saying about that. <laughs> if if I have, there might be pictures on our Instagram. If I have not, maybe there won't be. <laughs> you're welcome (laughs) you'll just have to go there and find out jessica karen i have a special treat for you oh what's that it's a letter (laughs) (laughs) Ah! it's always a letter karen (laughs) yeah but this one's extra special because it's from a yarn shop owner stop it (laughs) yes give it to me all right Question from Marnie. I have a knitting group question for you. What do you all do about people who constantly bring projects they're making with yarn they bought elsewhere or are posting finished objects from yarn bought elsewhere in the shop Facebook group? Do you just let it go? Marnie! <laughs> hey! Yes! Hi. Of course! Marnie. I'm saying this to you with all the love I have in my heart. You can't tell knitters what to knit with. (laughs) Right. Like, I mean, you can if they're in your space and they're like, hey, Marnie, I need yarn for this project. And I'm looking for these characteristics. Can you help me? Then you can be like, yes, I think you would like this, this or this. But you can't tell knitters what to knit on their own time in their lives. Like, you know, they have yarn, let them knit it. And what do you do? So back in the before times when our doors were unlocked and people were allowed to come to scratch (laughs) (laughs) to spend time with us and knit with us and show us their projects and we could help them in person. I saw a lot of yarn that did not come from inside my store. And you know what? I was like, what is that? Right. Where did you, do you have the ball band? I would like to know more about this yarn. Or, you know, where did you get it? Or who is this dyer? Like, it was exciting. All yarn doesn't come from your store until it does, right? Right. Like, we have definitely found new dyers that we were previously unaware of by someone coming in with yarn that they bought from the dyer or in another shop or at a festival and saying, Look at this. And we're like, oh my God, I love that. What is it? (laughs) Like, I think it's exciting. Yeah. And also, yeah, people have yarn from other places. It's fine. Don't get real tied up about this. I think so. On the one hand, I kind of get like, we're not a restaurant, right? This isn't, I'm sitting at Three Tomatoes with my family and I'm seeing somebody at the table next door who's ordered Dominoes to their table. Yeah. And I have questions. Like, like that's bad form. Don't do that. <laughs> right. Definitely don't Does do Domino's that. Does Domino's deliver to 3 tomatoes? I bet Domino's would deliver anywhere. I think they <laughs> they are not picky. Okay. So usually when people bring yarn into the shop that doesn't come from the shop, one of two things is happening. It's stash or okay, I'm going to say it's one of three things, I guess. It's old stash, it's something that, you know, it's their first time into the store. They got that yarn from somewhere and they have come into the store to get help with their project. And here's the thing about those people. If you don't help them, they will never knit anything else. They will be stuck on this project. Because I think also what's kind of folded into this question is this idea of people bringing in projects for help too, which is something I I see discussed in shop owner groups. If you don't help them get past whatever... It is excitement about finishing or just questions about how to take the next step or whatever. They're never going to knit anything else ever. <laughs> I mean, they might, just not with you. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Okay, so here's here's where I have like big feelings about this. Yeah. Because, okay, shop owner to shop owner, right? Like, we're all running very small businesses here, <clears throat> you know? And this is... What our jobs are, this is how we make our living, this is how we are engaged as like a financial puzzle piece in the fiber community. But also, if we just cared about selling a thing, we could sell widgets. Right. <laughs> right. Like we are a very niche industry, right? Like fiber world. Like you're dealing with a community of people who are dedicating kind of proportionally huge amounts of their time and proportionally huge amounts of like their expendable income Mm -hmm. to this very slow, skill-based, specific hobby, right? And that doesn't exist in a bubble, you know? Like they're a big part of what we do is community, Yes. Like, and being here for each other and cheering each other on and being excited about learning new things. So like, there are the people who come in who are like, this is my first time I have this project, I need help. There are people who are digging through stash. There are also people who are like your dedicated customers, who are like, I really want to try this yarn. And it's not something you carry in your store. And on some level, those people are doing work for you. Like they're sharing something yeah, with you. Like they are, they are scouting for you. We, had a, we have a customer. He's so great. He's a local customer. He was at a store in Amsterdam or maybe France. Like he was, he was somewhere. In- he was, yeah, he was on a different continent. And there was a tiny little tool that he saw. And he was like, this Is amazing. And he bought it there and he brought it to us because he was like, You need to get this in your store. Look how neat this is. And we were like, It is super neat. So I I want to address the other part of this question too. Yeah. Because you specifically mentioned a Facebook group. Right. And not just your business's Facebook page, but a Facebook group. So the point of you as a yarn shop. Hosting a Facebook group is to create community. Mm -hmm. And if someone in that Facebook group is feeling engaged in the community and is sharing projects that they are making and finishing, and they want their knitter friends, their knitter family to see these things, they have established rapport with these people, they have established trust, and they feel like this is the space where they can do that. Right. You have set them up in a space where you said, be friends with each other and share your love of this craft. And part of that is sometimes they are going to knit things that they did not purchase from you. And as the shop owner, like you are the keeper of that space. And if someone is coming in there and they have yarn from another shop and they're like, you guys really need to start shopping at XYZ at at yarnbarnwarehouse.com. <laughs> Like, you know, I'm trying to think of something that <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure doesn't exist. Right now. <laughs> and, like, their behavior is obviously, like, weirdly malicious or something. Like, you should have the wherewithal to say, like, hey, this is not the forum for you to be, to be like, actively turning people away from the thing that yeah. keeps the lights on. Like, keep going to yarnbarnwarehouse.com. Right. Like, you can say, you know, could you not do that? Like, right. it's not really in the spirit of this space that I have opened up for you. But if someone is in your Facebook group and they're like, hey, my Aunt Jenny went to Portugal and she brought back this amazing yarn for me and look at what I just made with it, you should also be in there cheering your knitters on and like applauding their finished objects. And if nothing else, if you think about this from the point of view of the person, Who has made this post right who has created a thing she's excited about it she's sharing it and then you're like "Mm, how about the delete button though like not only did she not buy that yarn from you she's probably never gonna buy any yarn from you ever again because you just like crushed her soul for no reason (laughs) yeah definitely like have some perspective Yes, I don't know. I feel like we a little bit raked you over the coals that are other people's coals here, Marnie, because this is some of this is just like other, yeah, like the do you just let it go? Yes, yeah, yeah. You kind of do and take a step back and try to have a little bit of perspective. Like, what What? is the intent here? Yeah, is this a mole from the yarn barn warehouse who has (laughs) infiltrated your group, or is it a knitter in your community who's like, hey, y'all just finished a sweater. What do you think? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So perspective, Marnie, like let's, let us nurture our community right? as well. Yeah. It's what keeps us together and keeps people knitting. Cause at the end of the day, we would probably all be making more money if we were selling widgets or shampoo <laughs> or, <laughs> or. <laughs> or <laughs> so thank you, Marnie. All right. I think that is it for today. Thank you so much for joining us. Remember, we are still in the midst of the Penguono knit-along, right? And it's never too late to join. Like, seriously, it's really not. Keep posting. Use the knit-along hashtags Down and hashtag MakeGoodPenguono if you want your Penguono project to be entered to win the prize in this knit-along. You can join at any time, but the prize will be awarded on February 1st. Yes. Yep. Which is in just a couple days. So yeah. Make some posts. Every post with the hashtag is an entry. So increase your odds. Use those tags. And if you are somehow just discovering this, the prize is a $150 gift card to scratch. So you can get yourself something nice and rock a penguono. And don't forget, March 6th. Yes. March of the penguonos. <laughs> It'll be good. <laughs> You're going to wear a penguino, and we'll see you out on the street. Or you're going to send us a video or a picture of you penguono marching. Yeah. It be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So thanks, everyone. See you next week. Bye-bye.